I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Do you happen to remember that one time in early 2002 when Jimmy Fallon welcomed Paris Hilton onto his show and the two of them discussed their mutual love for bored ape NFTs? Here it is. I think it's just such an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, I, I, got, I, I jumped in. I know, I heard. I'm I, so happy I taught you what they were. You did. You taught me what's <laughs> up, and then I bought an ape. I got an ape, too, because I saw you on the show with people, and you said you got a moon pay, so I went and I copied you and did the same thing. You did? Mm-hmm. This is your, this is your ape. Yeah, we debuted. It's really cool. Oh, and that wasn't all. Actually, Paris was there to promote her own line of NFTs. Which fans, of course, could purchase for themselves. But this is a, you have a new NFT, you have one being released soon. Uh, we have it here. What can you tell us about this? Um, well, it's an NFT series that I'm doing with Super Plastic and we're releasing an Origin Protocol. And then I'll be frank, I don't really understand what Paris said there. I don't think she did either. But regardless, whatever she said doesn't matter now. You know why? Because NFTs, less than two years after the moments you just heard, are pretty much worthless. 95% of them, according to a new report, are worth absolutely nothing today. Oh, and our friends there, Paris and Jimmy, they are being sued, along with other celebrities, in a class action suit for allegedly being paid to promote those Bored Ape NFTs without ever revealing that fact to the people they were promoting them to. This is normally the part where I'd just start laughing for 90 seconds before relaxing into a warm glow that would stay with me the rest of the day. But I can't do that. Because, as idiotic, useless, ugly, unnecessary, and desperately grasping as the whole NFT thing was. Do you really think that it's Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon who are paying the price now that it's collapsed? I know you're not that dumb. So, what did happen to NFTs? Where did they come from? How did they die? And who's really been left to foot the bill? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Ed Citron is the writer of the tech and culture newsletter, Where's Your Ed At? He is also CEO of the technology public relations firm, EZPR. Hello, Ed. Hey, how's it going? It's going really well. Thanks for uh, taking some time to talk about the, I was going to say long, slow fall of NFTs, but it, I guess it wasn't even that slow. It's more of a uh, pop and drop, I'd say, because they've been around a lot longer than people give them credit for. And people should not give them any credit at all, but still. <laughs> This was not something that just happened. It popped in the same way that crypto did 
in 2020 and 2021, but these things have been around since at least 2017. No, actually probably earlier. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's the first thing uh, that I've learned today. Where did they come from at first and, and how did they get to the point where they popped? So CryptoKitties was the first one I remember, and you may think, what the hell is that? It's actually quite self-explanatory. It was an NFT where you could buy these horrible-looking cats, and then you could breed them to make even more disgusting-looking cats. And they were, it was about 2017 that happened. Now, like a lot of things in crypto, NFTs were somewhat noble in what they wanted to do. The idea was, how do we create the uniqueness of a real item, a true collectible. We have an immutable blockchain, meaning it cannot be edited. How do we create a one-of-one product? And thus the non-fungible token was created. Non-fungible meaning it cannot be broken apart. It is a smart contract to my knowledge. Forgive me if I mess up the tag here. That means that you cannot mess with it. It will always be one-of-one. It cannot be changed. It can be transacted with in some cases, in most cases, but it cannot be changed. And so that, in theory, is a noble idea. Mm -hmm. It is a noble, interesting piece of technology. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. But how did we start getting to the point where we're talking about a value proposition in here? When you talk about the other value proposition, I assume you're meaning when a board ape was $100,000 or the crypto kitties that sold for a couple of grand early on, which was surprising because this was relatively early. That second value proposition, the financial one, I don't even know how to begin describing what that value might be because I don't know. I don't know what it is because (laughs) in every NFT I've ever seen, they're basically selling you, for example, Bored Apes or Doodles, one of 10,000 profile pictures and you have these things and theoretically getting one of these things gives you access to other things. Like in the case of Bored Apes, you could access a Discord and go to special parties, which I suppose is a thing that you could do. And the value proposition was, though they would claim it was community and it was all about, oh, meeting like-minded people who also make bad purchasing decisions, the reality was they were selling a form of investment. Mm -hmm. And if there was any real teeth to American or indeed Canadian regulation, these things would be considered securities because the way they are being sold is basically securities. It honestly just reminds me of the baseball cards I collected in the early 1990s. So sure that I was going to pay for my college with those cards. Yeah, that logic is correct. I would say add a layer of religious cultism Mm. and you've got it. The collectible card thing is theoretically correct. You had NBA Top Shots, which was you could buy moments within a basketball game, mm-hmm. someone, Steve Adams, Duncan, and someone, I don't know, never really watched much basketball. But nevertheless, the whole collectible card game thing was what they liked to compare it to, um, except it never had any of those fundamentals. Because in all of collectible cards, you actually cared about the men or the woman on them. You actually cared in the Pokemon case whether you got the shiny Charizard, right. not just for the value, because it was a good card to play at the time. In the case of NFTs, it's, I have a bunch of ugly cartoons. Well, I could go on a Discord, I guess, and I can share these with people publicly, except whenever I share them, a hundred people tell me I'm a lunatic (laughs) and then keep claiming they downloaded it, claiming that I bought a JPEG. Because that's the thing. There is no real identity to any of these things. It's religious cultism plus investment. It's, I have this shiny token 
I am one of the worthy. I have fun staying poor because I'm the one who bought the ape. Right. And it's scary. It's scary that this took off, but actually quite funny how it crashed. But still, there are tons of victims. How did it go from being this, and you use the word noble, so so will I, you know, noble set of geeks who are creating something interesting and yeah, it might have some value and cool, maybe, you know, these things will go up in worth to just to use a popular meme that people will understand, uh, Jimmy Fallon and, and Paris Hilton, uh, you know, sharing their apes on a late night show. The reason it grew is the same reason that the rest of crypto grew, which is 50% all people were looking for an alternate investment thing. But also the whales in crypto use the massive amounts of money they have to pump the value of these things. And indeed, in the case of NFTs, a very small amount of wallets are the ones that actually pump these prices. Well, in your piece, and I, I want to put this in a way that, you know, people, because th this whole uh, world can seem overwhelming, especially if you are lucky enough not to be involved in it at all. Yes. Um, you use uh, a company I, or an NFT or whatever you want to call it uh, called Doodles as a case study of the rise and fall of NFTs. So maybe can you walk us through uh, what Doodles is or was and, and how this whole thing happened? So... Doodles was an NFT company of sorts. And the reason I say was is that, well, the rest of the story will explain that. You could buy one of 10,000 Doodle portrait pictures and get access to not even their Discord. Anyone can join their Discord. They were meant to theoretically make a cartoon. They've done pop-up stores. You could vote on the Doodles community Decentralized Autonomous Organization, very stupid term there. You could join this community of like-minded fools. And for a while, these were like the creme de la creme of NFTs. These were the one of the top projects up there with the board apes. You could add the doodles and Alexis Ohanian of Reddit fame. Never seems to have gotten trouble for what Reddit did, though. Alexis Ohanian, 776 Ventures. Otherwise, pretty good venture firm. Put 54 million into doodles, claiming it was the next Disney. How was Doodles the next Disney? Not really sure. It just looked like the cartoon Adventure Time ripped off. But they did a pop-up shop. They did a deal with Crocs. They did a deal with Pharrell Williams. Hmm. What they didn't do was create anything. They have perhaps seven to ten minutes worth of actual footage of real things. So you bought these NFTs and you now owned this thing. And of course, none of these companies ever talk about the value of their NFTs <laughs> because they don't want to get dinged by the SEC. So what they would talk about is community and ownership. This is the really noxious part, this concept of ownership. That, oh, I'm part of something and I own a part of it. In the case of Doodles, I own one of the 10,000 pictures. The problem is when you own something like an NFT, you don't own Jack Diddley squat in the real world. You are not given stock. You are not giving voting rights on the actual company, the one that took the $54 million. You can vote what might happen with these NFTs, except you can't really anymore because as of earlier this year, co-founder of Doodles, Jordan, and I quote, Poopy Castro, stated that it was no longer an NFT project and will no longer cater to speculators. Very interesting to say that last part about not catering to speculators because that could be used against them by the SEC. Huh. Nevertheless, they're no longer an NFT company. So all these people who bought these 10,000 portraits, they are up a creek without a paddle. Now, this, this happened, by the way, because the bottom dropped out of NFTs, but also 
there was never a fundamental value of these things anyway. They were pumped assets. There's some insanely small number, like 10 or 20 people did most of the volume of NFTs in the last year. Mm -hmm. So everything was kind of rigged. I'm not saying the company Doodles did the rigging, but someone did rigging to pump some things. Nevertheless, these people who invested a year or two ago in these Doodles who sat there and said, I'm going to be part of the next Disney. I've heard Alexis Ohanian talk about it, and he says it's going to be the next Disney, the future of intellectual property. They're part of nothing. They never were. And that's the really important thread with all of these things. These NFT projects, from a noble idea of a unique digital token to this idea that we can sell people, this idea that they're part of something while excluding them from it almost entirely. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. there was a recent report that looked at the actual value of the NFT market kind of as a whole and individually over the past couple of years. So oh, how's it gone? Uh, into the toilet is the answer. So there was an analysis from, a, of all things, a blockchain gaming company that found that 95% of NFTs now totally worthless, meaning that they are worth zero Ethereum. You can't sell them. Important concept as well to realize with these things is the term value is actually extremely vague. Hmm. How so? So when you say a board ape is worth $100,000, you are assuming you will be able to liquidate at that price. Hmm. The problem is, if you can't sell it, it really isn't worth anything. It's not like a house or a car where there is a, a value to it. And even if it drops, it is still a place you can live or a a thing you can get in and drive somewhere. These things have no utility, but also it's an entirely peer-to-peer -peer market. You need someone else to sell to. And if there is no one to sell to, if there is no liquidity, as it's called, you are completely screwed. Right. Now, this study, Molly White of Web3 is going great, insanely smart person, made the point that while technically the study is true, there was some wonky data in it, but also... Many NFTs, despite their theoretical value, actually were worthless from the beginning because, like I said, you can't sell these things. The important thing to realize is, yes, 95% of NFTs are worthless, but let's be honest, probably 99% were always worthless because these things have no value. Retail investors, why would they sign up for this? Why would they purchase NFTs as opposed to purchasing stock in a good company? The moment you find something is valuable, the smart money has already left. NFTs were dumped onto regular people. But the reason that people would invest in it is, I have this overall theory about crypto. I believe it's driven by the fact that the average person cannot really generate wealth anymore. Mm -hmm. Going to college is not enough. It is simply not sufficient to go to college to buy a house. Working an honest job is not enough anymore. So retail investors bought these things thinking, 
oh crap, these things were worth a hundred bucks. Now they're worth a hundred thousand bucks. Maybe they will be worth a million dollars. It's not obvious how to get even half wealthy these days. It really isn't. So people bought these things because, well, they turned off their better judgment, but it seemed like maybe this was the way up for them. Even if it never was, even if it was craven, they had people getting rich off of them. People could see, people reading the news could see people making money off this. And as a result, people are followers. People are copiers. And so people did buy into this. It sucks because a functional society would have exiled this crap very quickly. Well, one interesting thing you saw during uh, the boom times for NFTs were media companies and, and places like that who were looking for new revenue streams in an age where uh, they simply don't have as many as they used to. And so that's why you got, I believe CNN uh, got into the NFT market for a while. And that that's just one example. What happened to all those legitimate companies' NFT ventures? Again, the aforementioned toilet. Mm. That one was very much the media industry or these companies straight up just not knowing what they were doing. They were yeah. just trying to cash in. No one needs the unique thing of a CNN article. The new Ghostbusters movie tried to do NFTs. Everyone wanted to do these things because despite this being an extremely hollow proposition, one that doesn't seem to actually have any value of any kind, they were just like, oh, well, maybe this is another piece of crap I can cram down the consumer. I can sell this to them and they will buy it. Money is good. Hmm. But that's actually a good thing to lead into, which is a lot of the media did not do their job criticizing this. There were so many people who just went, well, it's making money. That's good, right? That's what we like. We like money, don't we, folks? All right, so it's good. Well, let's incredulously accept what these people have to say, these NFT people, that this is the future of stuff. The reason that, for example, the journalist side, when they did these NFTs look so ridiculous was, let's be honest, it was the most obvious example of how useless these things were. What were they selling you? They didn't have the charisma of an NFT P.T. Barnum. They didn't have the Carnival Barker mentality necessary to sell NFTs. They were just like, do you want the original uh, CNNs? Do you want this? I think you want this, right? NFTs are good, huh? I guess the last thing I want to ask is, do people hurt by all of this who put their savings into it hoping to get rich have any options? I mean, all of the stuff you've talked about feels so shady. I feel like it must be against some sort of law or regulation. And if this stuff happened on the stock market, it would be, right? I mean, I hate to say it, no. There's nothing. Okay, bad example. No, no, no. To be clear, you are completely justified in thinking that there should be regulation that there should be actual things to stop this happening. But the problem is there are no regulations to stop this. The crypto industry hates Gary Gensler, chairman for the SEC. They hate him because he is trying to actually do this. And he's doing it in a way like all governments. It's not perfect, but he's doing something. Problem is with NFTs is they're collectibles. If they're held under that law, everything's totally reasonable unless they can prove that one of these big companies actually pumped and dumped. However, the actual way, as you're seeing with FTX and Voyager and Celsius and all of these big programs that screwed retail investors, even if the hand of justice gets to them, it takes forever. You are not seeing your money again. You're never seeing it. It's gone. I'm not an accountant. Maybe there's capital gains loss. I don't know. 
But the average person, and I'm so glad you brought this up, actually. The average person is the victim here. We can laugh, and they're very funny, the very annoying crypto bros. Laugh at them all you want, but recognize that the average person, the retail investor, these are the people who got screwed in crypto. I would say that the vast majority of people in the industry, people who are desperate to accumulate wealth in any way, and no, there is nothing protecting them. There's nothing protecting them at all. They are left pissing in the wind as these very rich guys have got much richer. The people that actually should be held accountable are not just getting away with it. They are richer as a result. And that is what makes me so disgusted with this industry. People like Alexis Ohanian has invested so much and been such a proponent of this. People like Jimmy Fallon, uh, to quote Red Letter Media, the only thing he should host is a parasite. People like that who led people to the slaughter, they are unforgivable. And they are criminals ethically, I would say, maybe not legally, but these people are the ones who should be held accountable and they never will be. And what happens next? Because this is my fear is that those folks will move on to the next crazy newfangled technology-based scam and do this all over again. I'm going to ask you, there has to be one, right? And I, I think it's probably got to have something to do with AI. I don't believe AI is going to be the next scam. I think the most likely next scam in crypto is crypto. Right. I think they end up trying to do this again in a few years and then claim, oh, well, it's different this time due to the fact that we've done audits. I would not be surprised if audits is the next one. They got away with it in particular because no one really understood the fundamentals of liquidity, as I mentioned, the buyer and the seller. Wash trading and people doing stuff on the blockchain to pump values, that's hard to explain to most people. Mm -hmm. We're in this weird situation where this could happen again in a very similar way. All it will take is literally one successful thing. Bitcoin goes to 60 grand again. Everyone will be back on that train. I will be right here yelling about it. I will be talking about how silly it is. I will throw such a tantrum, but I believe that this will be revisited again unless we have regulation. If we can get the regulation we need, people can be saved. But if we do not, we will see this cycle repeat. Ed, thank you so much for this. Uh, makes my head spin and makes me angry, but uh, I'm glad to talk to you about it. Well, thanks for having me. Ed Zitron, you can subscribe to Where's Your Ed At on Substack. And of course, if you want more of The Big Story, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us anytime on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can write to us at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca, and you can call us 416-935-5935 and leave us a voicemail. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of this show. Robin Simon is our other producer. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. Sound design is led by Ryan Clark. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our business manager. I am the executive producer and your host, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening, and we will talk on Monday. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. 
I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.